Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. It is the day before Election Day here in the United States, and I wanted to share a few thoughts about the election and about voting. And although this is specific to the United States, many of these general themes that I'm going to talk about are relevant to you who may be overseas. So you can think about that in your elections. And so I just want to talk about some of the different ways people think about elections. Now, the first question you have to ask yourself is, should I vote? Objectively, voting tends not to be impactful in the result for the average person. Most races do not come down to a single vote. So you could say, well, my vote doesn't matter and I'm just kind of wasting it, and therefore I shouldn't vote. Of course, if everybody said that, uh, then where might we be? Uh, but there's another school of thought that basically says, look, the system is corrupt. Political change cannot be made through the ballot box. The system is rigged, uh, as uh, the saying goes. Ultimately, it doesn't matter who you vote for, and therefore you should check out of the system. You need to reject the system, and not voting is part of the way that you reject the system. And I would say it's generally true that elections don't really necessarily control what's going to happen in society. The power of our society lays largely outside of the electoral process. And even if someone who's a quote-unquote unapproved candidate like Donald Trump is able to get elected president— there are a million billion ways that person can be undermined. Now, having said that, elections definitely matter and are very consequential. It certainly matters that Joe Biden is the president of the United States and not Trump. It matters that uh, in those Georgia elections that the Democrats won, which gave the Democrats enough of a margin to be able to pass through their uh Supreme Court nominee, as well as to be able to pass that law, which they called the Inflation Reduction Act. And so definitely things matter. I mean, their control right now over the Justice Department is massively uh, consequential and influential. So who actually holds these elected offices is, in fact, very important. And therefore, I encourage everyone to vote. Uh, As they say, do your civic duty get out there and vote. So I, my first thing I would just say is I encourage people to participate in the system. I plan to vote. I have been voting. Now, that's maybe the easy part. The second question is, who do you vote for? And I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Everyone has to vote their own conscience. Uh, I don't think it's a matter of total indifference who we vote for. I do believe we're going to give an account Uh, to God for who we vote for, but ultimately we still have to make that decision uh, based on all the facts and and all the ways that we think about the world. There are so many things we simply don't understand, and I don't believe it's always obvious what to do. So I always say everyone has to vote their own conscience. And what we see today is that we often are ending up in situations where both candidates are pretty awful. You could look at the 2016 election for president in which both candidates 
uh, were morally compromised in a sense, and in which neither party really represents the interest of most of the people in the country. Let's be honest, they don't. The only reason a guy like Trump could get elected, become the nominee, is because there was a massive reservoir of unsatisfied people out there. And of course, most of them were conservative for him. I believe there is an unsatisfied reservoir of people on the left as well, although they're not quite as restive as that. So what do you do when you're increasingly faced with political parties that don't represent your viewpoint? They often officially now totally go against what you believe or what you want. And both candidates or may very well be deeply flawed people with positions that you reject. So what do you do in that situation? So there are a number of ways that people think about this. You can think about voting for the least bad person. Uh, that's one way people uh, do it. A number of people in 2016 made this decision when it came to voting for Donald Trump. They said, gosh, I hate Donald Trump. I don't like what he stands for. I don't like who he is. But, you know, Hillary's worse. And it would be consequentially worse if she were an officer. I just got to hold my nose and vote for him. That's sort of one approach to saying it. Another approach that I'm actually seeing increasingly promoted in sort of religious circles is this idea that you should essentially hold yourself aloof uh, from this sort of process. That what you should do is say, look, a pox on both their houses. Both of these candidates are unacceptable, and therefore we should not uh, morally implicate ourselves in anyone's corrupt action, and we should, in some cases, maybe turn aside from the political process, or we should vote for a libertarian candidate, or vote for Evan McMullen, or write in somebody else, find some way to avoid not making a choice in order to essentially get out of having to make a decision between two bad people. And again, you can take that uh, approach if you want. I know some people who did that in 2016. Uh, they just felt, you know, genuinely a matter of conscience, I just can't vote for either of these people. I think that this is equivalent to saying you should check out of the system, though. This idea is, well, it's just like, it's just like the people who say the system's too corrupt, don't participate in it, don't vote. This is very much what that's saying, only it's creating a sort of posture of, um, you know, kind of floating above the clouds, as I like to said. I, I'm going to sit up here and maintain this pure witness. Uh, I, I'm just going to be like so much more. I don't want to soil myself by getting down into the mire and the muck. And I'll just sit here and sort of, uh, you know, again, kind of criticize both sides and have this sort of morally aloof, even morally superior posture. And again, that's not everybody. Some people are legitimately torn, but I do think there's this sort of aloof posture of sort of moral superiority. Gosh darn it, I'm just so moral and good that I just couldn't support any of these people. But I think the reality is the world is messy. It's a fallen world. And if we want to be engaged in life in the 21st century, then we're going to have to, there's no getting around some of these uh, issues. We're going to have to make choices. And I think you'll find a lot of these people remain very politically engaged uh, in select matters of their own. But again, that's not everybody. 
Then there's another school of thought uh, still out there. It was, it was more prominent historically, but again, some people still promote it, which is that you must vote Republican if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you must vote Republican because the Democrats support abortion. And again, many people on this podcast might hold to that position. If you hold to that position, then you need to accept that you will probably never get anything except abortion. And frankly, you might not even get abortion uh, right now. Certainly, they wouldn't be as aggressive on, um, of course, legalizing uh, abortion up to month nine or whatever as has happened in some of these blue states if you vote Republican. I think what we're seeing is many of these Republicans like to talk a good game of being anti-abortion, but they were always sort of shielded by Roe versus Wade. And now that Roe versus Wade uh, has been overturned, what we're going to see is that now they're not so eager to pass this, this legislation. And in fact, it's a situation where, candidly, as I've said, I do not think the majority of Americans want to have an absolute ban on abortion. I think the majority of Americans go along with Bill Clinton's idea that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare but that they would probably go for a variety of restrictions on, like, you know, second-term abortions and things of that nature. But anyhow, this is the political realm. And so I don't think the Republicans are necessarily going to be very aggressive at all on abortion. But you have to understand, if you take that position, what you are basically saying is this. A candidate who is anti-abortion could support the Democrat far-left agenda on every single other point, and yet the Christian remains morally obligated to vote for them because the abortion issue trumps any other consideration. And this logic, to me, has uh, something to do with why evangelicals have gotten so little out of the Republican Party, so little out of conservatism, because it essentially says we care about one issue, and as long as you do that on our issue, you don't have to do anything else for us. And so, again, You could take that approach. I'm not saying you can't take that approach. I think that's one that a lot of people have done. A second uh, one is related to the very first question, should you vote? And it's this idea of the system is corrupt. There's no way to make change to the system. And therefore, the ballot box should be used, but used primarily as a tool of disruption. Uh, the, The idea here is that you vote not for the candidate you necessarily think is going to you know, do the best, but for the candidate you think is most likely to be highly disruptive to the system, in the idea that the system needs to be changed. This was Michael Moore's uh, famous description of Donald Trump, which is that all these uh, laid-off union workers in Detroit and places like that saw him as the human Molotov cocktail that they could hurl into the system. It was the middle finger they were going to send to the people. But the idea is if you want disruption to the system, then undoubtedly Trump was the best candidate for doing that, given that Hillary certainly would have been a vote for the status quo, um, in a sense. And so this gets to, I think, a kind of the final point or final way you can think about it, which is, I think the way that increasingly people are going to have to think about elections, and that is essentially the game theory uh, approach, which is to say, rather than looking at who do we think would be the best person to actually do this job, 
we look at votes as if they are being used to achieve some higher level or meta level objective, whatever that may be. Maybe your objective is to disrupt the system and see sort of a MAGA uh, regime put in place. So if you want, if you're pro MAGA, then you're going to say, "Who do I vote for that uh, makes that much more likely?" Yeah, I, I met a guy who worked for Ron Paul back in the day, and he was very much involved in libertarian political activities, and his logic was very simple. Better a Democrat than a rhino, a rhino being a Republican in name only, uh, anyone they consider too squish. Like, we're going to vote Democrat, we're going to support Democrats well before we would support a rhino. And that's sort of the way that the, the rhinos themselves, the establishment Republicans, factions, uh, view the world. They vote very strategically. So here in Indiana, when Richard Murdoch defeated long-term uh, Senator Richard Luger, he was a sort of insurgent candidate, uh, they voted for the Democrat to ensure he lost in the election. We have a similar situation here where this guy, Diego Morales, was running for Secretary of State, and he defeated the establishment's hand-picked uh, candidate, and now many of them are going to vote um, for the Democrat. Uh, and I think some of them, you know, probably legitimately voting for the Democrat because they don't like Diego. He's got a lot of problems. But a lot of them view it as this thing belongs to us, and if you are not one of us, then we're going to burn it to the ground before we let you have it. And that's what I mean by game theories considerations. It's we want to, if you're an establishment person, it's we want to maintain our long-term hegemony over the party. And I pretty much believe that's the way that they think and operate. Uh, and they always talk a good game of loyalty, rally behind the flag, rally behind the candidate. But you don't really see that, I think, when it comes to them not voting for the candidate that they don't want. And again, this was the whole Never Trump movement, the Bill Crystals and all these guys. You know, the minute, uh, you know, somebody else got a turn, uh, they decided to, you know, take their ball and go home, or at least try to. So I think, but more and more and more, everybody is going to be voting very much in line with these sort of game theory considerations. Because it's not just that, it's do I like this party or that party, and I'll vote for my party guy, uh, because I want my party to win, not the other person's party. That's, that's been there for a long time. But even within your own party, people's own party, whether that be Democrat or Republican, people are thinking about what factions they want and which way do they want it to go. Because in both parties, I would say many of the rank-and-file voters are just very, very, very unhappy. Certainly more the case on the Republicans. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the Democratic Party is, you know, more popular with many grassroots perhaps. But you know, at the end of the day, I think this kind of idea of thinking about voting strategically to accomplish objectives beyond the immediate election, beyond the office that we're running for, uh, treating that as essentially as like a proxy battle, if you will, is going to be more and more common and, you know, maybe a legitimate way to look at it, I think, in this world. I mean, I probably take that point of view myself. When I go into the ballot box uh, tomorrow, I'm probably going to view most of these somewhat uh, from a game theory perspective. That's probably what I'm going to do. Uh, so just a few considerations, a few thoughts, a few ways you can approach it. And again, you might choose a different one way or the other, um, we, you know, but we're all going to give an account of our way. So, you know, we should give it, uh, give it thought. And what I say is, you know, election day, it's not the end of the world, you know, so uh, engage. I, I say we should continue to be engaged 
in a prudential matter in politics, but we should not get too much of our identity of politics, and we shouldn't put too much uh, of ourselves on the line in some of these outcomes. You know, don't let yourself become apocalyptic. It's a recurring theme of the podcast. Do not give in to apocalyptic thinking. Apocalyptic thinking causes you a lot of mental health problems, and it also causes you to do stupid stuff that can really ruin your life and get you in a lot of trouble. So no matter what happens tomorrow, right, be smart and uh, don't do anything dumb uh, and don't invest too much in the political process, but recognize it, politics is a very important domain and you should stay engaged. So I would encourage you to vote uh, and think through all these different ways you can analyze the elections in front of you. Pick the ones that most resonate with you and I hope you make good choices and vote for the people that I would have voted for if I were in your spot. No, just joking. It's up to you to make your own choice. Uh, but don't let people convince you not to participate in the process. I will talk to you next week.